This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. I'm going to jump on into a, a new message. It'll be the next couple weeks I'll be doing this. Um, I'm going to speak for the next two weeks on the Lord's Supper. Somebody say the Lord's Supper. And I, I told you guys last year that this had been on my heart and it was something I was going to talk about. And, and I've started digging into it, and I've been digging into it for weeks. And um, as I have, I recognize that this is so much bigger. And, uh, and I will probably come back to this again uh, in the, in the uh, not-too-distant future. Um, some of you are thinking, the Lord's Supper. We know all about the Lord's Supper, right? It's the bread and the juice, right? It's the body and blood. We do it in remembrance. Hallelujah, amen. Once a month at Church of the Harvest. Some of you think, probably like I have at different points in my life, I've done this my entire life. I don't forsake the Lord's Supper. I don't forsake communion. Some of you think, aren't there more important things to talk about? We need to talk about the Holy Ghost. Guys, the blood is the foundation for it all. We have got to have this down. And I recognized about uh, at the beginning of last year, last spring, I recognized that this is something that had become commonplace in me. And I think that many, if not most of us, will recognize the same thing over the next few weeks as we go through it. Um, so yeah, I've been digging in, in addition to the Bible, I've been reading other sources, listening to other sources, Perry Stone, Joseph Prince, um, some messages from Gateway. Um, and like I say, the more I read, the more I study, man, the, the bigger this whole thing gets. Um, but our commitment to the Lord's Supper, our commitment to communion is about values. And how many of you would agree that the world's values are pretty jacked up today? And in turn, many times we actually, pretty much all the time, we can look and we can see the places in our own lives where our values aren't what they should be. And, you know, as I was thinking about values, I was thinking about how everybody's values are different. For instance, do you ever give your kids something valuable? And they did. Son Aaron loves baseball. What? He loves baseball. And so in time he was a little kid, he has this uncanny knack for being able to get baseball players to sign his ball. He doesn't af isn't afraid to walk up to anybody and ask. He isn't afraid to go anywhere. He just takes off and he goes and he comes back. He got Alex Rodriguez a couple of years ago. Sign his baseball. But he's been doing that since he was real little. So when he was younger, we would take him to AutoZone Park and go to Redbirds games. And he'd get half the team to sign his ball. And I'd be like, that's awesome. I couldn't believe he got that. And so I'm thinking, you know, it's something that he puts up on the shelf and whatever. No, the next day he's out there throwing it in the mud with his buddies. Right? And I'm going, don't throw that ball. That's awesome. Look at what you did. Look at all the people who signed that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's out there throwing it, you know, in the mud. Comes back and, you know, you can hardly read anything on it. It's values, right? I remember when the girls were little, I remember their great-grandparents. Um, their great-grandparents got them for Christmas one year special edition, limited edition Barbie dolls. 
And so they, uh, they give these two little girls these Barbie dolls. They're like, don't ever open it. You put these up on the shelf and you look. And the girls are like, why in the world is somebody getting us Barbie dolls that we can't open and play with, right? And, of course, they're sitting in the attic to this day in a box somewhere, you know, boxed up. And who knows? Uh, hopefully they'll be worth something one day. I, I, I don't know. But they couldn't understand why we're explaining you don't open this. It's just something of value that's been given to you, Right? On the flip side, I was thinking, you ever seen it the other way around where your kids valued something that you didn't? Back to Aaron. <laughs> the time Aaron was real little, he loved sticks. <laughs> he would cry. If he was outside and found a stick and you wouldn't let him bring it in, he would be utterly crushed. It, I mean, it's just a stick. Months later, he would still have it in his room. He hadn't seen it in months because it's, you know, under his bed or something. You pull it out, you know, and say, we're going to get rid of this. And he's just crushed again. What? No. So Sean would have to sneak in there months later and kind of sneak it out, you know. And, and he would never think about it again. He would never know it was gone. You know what Madison valued? Madison valued rocks. Anywhere we went, Madison had to get a rock from that place. And she would come back, and she would sometimes have her pockets full of rocks as a little girl. Now, every now and again, she would get a really cool rock. But usually, it was just a rock. Just a rock. I mean, she had a backpack for years, probably until last year or something. She had a backpack. <laughs> she had a backpack that was full of rocks, weighed like half a ton. This backpack was full. And sometimes she would carry that thing around, and she would just look at her rocks and it's not like she labeled them where they came from. It was just rocks. I was like, darn, man, wow. Some rocks. Can we not get rid of some of the rocks? Sometimes people value things that we don't value, right? So what about, what about communion? What about the Lord's Supper? Like Shauna just went, hmm, I, yeah, I, I struggled too. I was like, huh. Um, communion. I'll try to think of something by next week, all right? Communion, is it, really, is it really that big a deal? I mean, we generally as a church, we try to take it once a month or so, right? We're good. It's all good. I went back and I started thinking and, and started looking into the Word and looking at what we see as the early instances of things that were kind of a shadow, a foreshadowing of communion. And you may not realize this, but one of the first instances I found goes back to Genesis chapter 14. Would anybody agree that that's close to the beginning? I don't know, it looks like it's the beginning of your book there, right? Yeah. Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, it's talking about um, Abram and Melchizedek. Anybody heard of Melchizedek? A lot of times you hear about him when we're talking about tithes and offerings and things. He did bring a tithe there, but, uh, but Melchizedek was a priest. He was also the king of Salem. Anybody know what Salem would later be known as? Jerusalem, right? So here he is. Melchizedek is a priest. He's the king of Salem. And in Hebrews, we know that Jesus is called a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. You know, don't hear about Melchizedek much in, in the Bible. 
But the first instance of him is in Genesis chapter 14. And we know in Genesis chapter 14 that Melchizedek blessed Abram and brought him bread and wine. The next one I found was in Genesis chapter 26. Now, in Genesis chapter 26, bread and wine aren't specifically mentioned, but we see that any time covenant was cut, there was generally, it was preceded with a meal between the two parties that would celebrate the agreement that had been made. And we see these meals taking place in Genesis chapter 26, a meal between Abimelech and Isaac, as well as between God and the elders of Israel. God wanted the elders to have a covenant meal after ratifying that covenant and shedding blood of a sacrifice. And then you go into the next book. You go into Exodus, and we look at the tabernacle. Y'all familiar with the tabernacle? In the tabernacle, there was the table of showbread. Y'all familiar with that? One of the, one of the, one of the um, pieces within the tabernacle there was the table of showbread. And we think of showbread, that's the way it's, it's translated, and we think, oh, that must mean that was some fancy bread, right? There was nothing fancy about it. There was 12 loaves, one representing each of the 12 tribes of Israel. But showbread, the word that was translated showbread into English, actually meant the bread of faces. And it symbolized that as they came in and partook of this showbread, from the table of showbread, that they would come face to face with the presence of the Lord. Um, we know that there was the 12 loaves of unleavened bread. The other main feature of the table was a cup. And in that cup was the drink offering, which was wine. You know what they called it? They called it the blood of grapes. So before the priests would come in, before the presence of the Lord, they would come to the table and they would eat of the showbread and they would drink of the blood of grapes. Does this make sense? This is when keeping a covenant keeping in the covenant of the Lord. And so then, shortly after this, we see in Deuteronomy that the Lord institutes Passover. You're familiar with Passover, right? Passover, God commanded that his people, actually God commanded the people to partake of Passover, but it was, it was celebrated earlier in the year um, in the same month. It was celebrated in the same month that the people were delivered from Egypt by God. And Passover was also known as the festival of unleavened bread. And during this time, they would sacrifice an animal from their herd. So you had the shedding of blood, and then they would eat of bread without yeast. Y'all kind of see the pattern? This is just in the first few books of the Bible, and we actually see it all through. And the one that we're most familiar with, obviously, the Lord's Supper, is um, what we see in this picture. We know that Jesus, he's um, sitting with the disciples at the table. Anybody know what day it was? It was the first day of Passover. They come to the table and uh, to partake. And so we're going to start in Scripture if you want to open up to Matthew chapter 26. And actually, I'm, I'm going to jump between several translations. first one I'm going to read from is the Passion Translation. But I want to read about this instance right quick where Jesus um, is, is partaking of the bread and the wine with the, um, with the disciples. So uh, Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through 20, it says, On the first day of Passover... The day when any bread made without yeast was removed from every Jewish home, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where should we prepare the Passover meal for you? So this was important to Jesus, right? The disciples are going to prepare this meal. He answered them and said, my heart longs with great desire to eat this Passover meal with you. Go into Jerusalem and you will encounter a man. Tell him that the teacher says, 
My appointed time is near. What was the appointed time? He's going to give his life, right? He would be the Passover lamb. Um, my appointed time is near. I'm coming to your home to eat Passover meal, eat the Passover meal with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus instructed them. They went to Jerusalem. They came across this man. They tell him this. And they prepared the Passover meal. When the evening had come, had came, he took his place at the table and he dined with the twelve. So they sit down to eat this meal together. And then if you jump down to verse 26, and I'm going to jump over to the English Standard Translation. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink of it, all of you. For this is my, coven- this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Now, if you're like me, you can probably agree that you've heard this passage of Scripture hundreds of times in your life. True? Most of you agree with that? It's read pretty much every time you've taken communion. We've heard it over and over again. Maybe weekly, maybe monthly, our entire lives. But I think that sometimes, I think that sometimes we don't see the real value. We know it's to remind us that Jesus died... My question is, is there more to it? What's the value in this act that we call communion, what we call the Lord's Supper? I would say to you that it's priceless. It's invaluable. Why did Jesus institute this? Is it just for our remembrance? Is it just bread and wine, bread and juice? And I told you guys that I really started thinking about this last spring. Like I say, I think I mentioned this in another message, but last spring, um, me and Sean and the kids were at um, at Dr. Leon's house in in Tampa. And um, it was actually, uh, I don't know if many of you have met his wife, Bridget, but she was actually the one that brought this up and was talking about um, how the Lord had given her so much new revelation in regards, to, uh, in regards to communion. And actually, it was Dr. Leon that said to me, you know what? I, he, she, he said, I agree. He said, actually, if I pastored a church today, he said, I would have us take it every time we came together. And I stopped, and I thought, wow. I'm missing something here. But communion is called the Eucharist. How many of you are familiar with the Eucharist? Have you come from a Catholic or a Lutheran background or something? And you had the Eucharist. It's not a Catholic term. It actually comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is Eucharisteo. And when the Bible says that Jesus broke the bread and gave thanks, it's actually the word Eucharisteo. That's where it comes from. Communion is the Eucharist. Talk about face-to-face with the Lord. And if you know that Jesus is fully present in communion. He said that we partake of his body and of his blood. Take it a step further, Jesus is the Eucharist. If it's his body and his blood, he is the Eucharist, right? People, we, we get this idea, though, I think over time, we lose the importance of it, and we have this thought, and maybe it's not a conscious thought, but we, inside of us, subconsciously, it's just a symbol It's bread and drink. Yeah, it's his body and blood. But guys, it goes much, much deeper. It's much heavier than this. 
And I believe it carries much more weight than the church considers today. I'm gonna, we're going to spend most of the rest of this message um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if, if you want to turn there or you're following along in your notes. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, again from the Passion Translation, says, now let me, let me, actually let me set this up first. This is Paul speaking, right? And Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And we see here for 11 chapters, he's, he's been writing. And then we come to chapter 11 and verse 17. He said, now on this next matter, he's moving on, now to the next thing. I wish I could commend you, but I cannot. Because when you meet together as a church family, it's doing more harm than good. Now, if you were in the church and the great apostle Paul was writing to you and you got to that line in the letter, that would probably make you stop and take pause, right? Hey, I'd love to commend you on this next thought, but I can't. Because when y'all meet together, you're doing more harm than good. Jump down to verse 20. It says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What's the next word say? Everybody say, what? 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 I looked at that. It was in several translations. What? It's the same thing we should say. They say they're eating the Lord's Supper, but some are running ahead and eating because they're hungry and some are getting drunk? Paul says, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. If I was reading this, I'd be saying, no, dead gone. They said they were coming together. We see it in Acts chapter 2 where they're coming together and they're meeting from house to house and they're partaking of the Lord's Supper together. And understand, when they took the Lord's Supper, like we see with Jesus and disciples, they would eat of the bread and drink of the wine, but they would have a meal together, right? In this, they weren't recognizing the body and the blood of Jesus. They were only caring about the meal. They were only caring about the food. They were coming because they were hungry. They're eating a ton. Some are getting drunk. What? And then verse 29 says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That would have really made me stop and think, wait, what? In the Message Bible, that same verse says, If you give no thought or even worse, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. He's saying you're drinking, you're eating it, you're treating it as food. He's saying if you're hungry, if you're thirsty when it comes time for the Lord's Supper, go home. Get something to eat so that you can take this with the right heart. He said you're not discerning the Lord's body. He's saying the Lord is here. The Lord is present as we take his body and blood. That's what Jesus said. This is my body. This is my blood. And he said you drink judgment on yourself because you don't stop and consider the weight of this. He's saying, don't you see? It's not a simple matter. And that's what I would say. Don't you see? It's not a little piece of tasteless bread and a little sip of grape juice. It's really got nothing to do with it. 
It's a heavy thing. In John chapter 6, verse 53, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, talking about himself, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, how many of you know this was before they took the Lord's Supper? This was before that moment where he broke the bread and blessed it and passed it to him, and the same with the wine. This is before that. Jesus has got a crowd there. He's got a bunch of followers around him. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Do you know it goes on to say that in that moment, there were many of his disciples or many of his followers that walked away after he said that and never came back. And he didn't go after them. They walked away and he let them go. Very interesting. Why is that? I believe that Jesus was hitting, I believe this was one of the heaviest things he said. And they had to get it. They had to receive this. They had to get an understanding of it. And I don't believe the disciples got it in that moment. As a matter of fact, you see, if you go down a few scriptures, the, the disciples came to him and they go, what does this mean? How can this be? The disciples weren't even understanding but they had received him as who, for who he was. And they knew they had to be open to what he was saying in this. He was about to offer himself as the Passover lamb. His blood would be shed for a mission of sin once and forever. And in order to receive life, you had to receive of his flesh and drink of his blood. They had to receive him for who he was. Now, those of you from a Catholic background, or maybe a couple other, maybe some different denominations, um, have a little bit different view of this. And I, I heard a term recently that I had, I don't know if I'd ever heard it before. Have you ever heard of transubstantiation? Transubstantiation. This was, this is the idea that when the bread and the cup are blessed, that the bread and the wine actually become the actual body and blood of Jesus. The Catholic Church believes that. You know what? I'm not going to argue over it. Um, they're taking communion. They're remembering the body and the blood of Jesus. Uh, as a church, we don't take that position. Why? Because it's not in Scripture. It doesn't, it doesn't say that. Um, but we recognize it basically the same. Um, we can't say that Jesus is present, that it is actually his body and his actual blood that we are partaking of in a moment. But we know that Jesus is present because he said he was. We can't say exactly how he's present, but we know that he is here and he is present when we partake of, those, of, of the, the bread and the juice, taking it as his body and blood. You know, I was thinking about a good example of this. You know, when we press in in worship, say praise and worship comes along, and we press in, and, and, we just, and we just seek the Lord, and we lift our hands, and we feel the presence of the Lord, we are actually doing a physical act, right? We're stopping, we're silencing, we're stilling ourselves, we're singing praise to the Lord, we're lifting our hands, we're honoring Him. There is a physical act that takes place, right? But how many of you also believe that there's something that's happening in the Spirit that we can't see? You agree? And it's much deeper than stopping and singing a song and lifting our hands. There's something that actually happens in the spirit. And we can't say exactly what it is or exactly what it looks like. But we know we're doing something that honors God. And we know that there is activity in the spirit as we worship and as we press into him, right? That's the way that we view communion as we take the Lord's Supper. That yes, it's a physical act. 
and that Jesus is present, but there's more happening in the spirit than the physical act in that moment. Does this make sense to you guys? So I'm going to give you three questions. Actually, three questions. There was a message that, um, uh, what's his name? Robert Morris's son did. And he, he answered three questions. And I thought this was really good. And I, I, want, to, I want to hit these with you guys and, and add some stuff to it. But I'm going to give you three questions today. You can follow along in the notes that were in your service guide. But three questions I want to answer today. Next week, I'm going to take it a step further uh, and go more into the benefits of, of communion. But uh, question number one, you can fill in the blanks there. Number one, is the Eucharist a symbol? Is the Eucharist a symbol? This is the easiest question to answer out of the three. This will take less than five minutes. The answer is yes. The Eucharist is a symbol. We know that it represents Jesus' death, right? We know that the bread represents his body broken for us, correct? We know that the juice represents his blood poured out for us. And I heard a great example of this uh, as far as it being a symbol. If you and your spouse went for a walk, and you're walking down your street, and you come to a corner, and you realize that somebody had hit the stop sign at the corner and knocked it over flat in the mud. Would any of us be shocked, like, oh, there's a stop sign in the mud? How many of us would be trying to get a crew of people together to help pick it up, pick it up and straighten it out? How many of us would be trying to get water and try and wash it off and make it, all this kind of thing? Probably not. We'd be like, that's a city's responsibility. Right? But what if you and your spouse were taking that walk, and you come up to a corner, and you look down and see something in the mud, and you realize it's an American flag? Many of us would go, what in the world? Why is that in the mud? And I'll bet there's many of us here that would actually pick it up, and we would actually do something about it. What's the difference. It is value. The American flag is a symbol. Regardless of where you stand, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, the American flag is a symbol of people who laid down their lives to give you the freedom to do whatever you want to do in this country. Many of us would be shocked and we would have to do something about it in the same way. Communion is a symbol. The question is, how much weight does it carry in your life? It is a symbol of somebody laying down their life for you to give you more than freedom. So number one, is the Eucharist a symbol? Absolutely. Absolutely. Which takes us to number two. Let's take it a step further. Is the Eucharist more than a symbol? Now, this is the point I've been trying to make all through here, but I want to press into this for just a minute. The Eucharist, communion, is much more than a symbol. It's much more than a piece of bread and a sip of juice. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29-30. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. For this is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Guys, if it's just a symbol... How in the world could it bring judgment upon you? How in the world could you become weak and ill and die if it were just a symbol? Uh, the Passion Translation, we read this a minute ago, but I'll read it again. For continually eating and drinking, actually we haven't read it from this one. For continually eating and drinking with the wrong spirit will bring judgment on yourself by not recognizing the body. 
This insensitivity is why many of you are weak, chronically ill, and even dying. Does that sound like something that's a symbol? That's a symbol, but it's a whole lot more than that, right? We see here he's talking about people getting sick and dying because of misuse of communion. Misuse of the Lord's Supper, not recognizing it for what it is. If it just represented us, us being saved and going to heaven, then why, why wouldn't we just die and go? Because the Lord's Supper is for here and now. It's for today. It's our constant reminder. There's many miraculous stories of things that have happened in a moment because of communion. Because a person simply recognized what Jesus did, that he was present. And we'll talk more about that next week. We'll talk more about the benefits but how many of you remember how many of you remember Luke 24? How many of you remember the story of the, the guys that were on the road to Emmaus? These guys, it's two followers of Jesus, and they're walking to this village. It was a village called Emmaus. And um, so they're, they're walking along, and they're talking about the crazy events of the last week. For followers of Jesus, it's been a crazy week. Followers of Jesus will recognize him as the Messiah. Suddenly, he's arrested, and he's crucified and dead and buried, right? And they're walking along talking about this. And besides that, there's now this crazy rumor in the last day or two that he's risen. So they're having quite a conversation as they're walking to this village called Emmaus. And we know that somewhere along the way that Jesus shows up and starts walking with them. Now, these are followers of Jesus but it says they don't recognize who he is. How do followers of Jesus not recognize who he is? But they sure don't. They're walking along with him, and they're telling him about these things. Have you not heard about what's been going on? And so they're sitting there telling Jesus about how Jesus was arrested and crucified and died, and now about these rumors that he's risen. I love Jesus' response. He goes, didn't the prophets all prophesy this was going to happen? So they're talking about these things, and they get to Emmaus, and Jesus basically says, all right, guys, I'm out. I'll see you later. And, you know, in this, up to this moment, Jesus is walking with them, and he's, he's kind of teaching them, but they don't know, they don't see who he is. And, folks, I believe that's the way, I believe that's the way many people come to church today. I think many people come to church and we lift our hands and we drop money in a bucket and we hear an engaging message and we don't recognize that God has been just urgently trying to engage us in a moment. But we find ourselves just kind of going through emotions. But then if you look in, in actually, like I said, it's Luke 24 and verse 30, um, what, what's happened here is Jesus is leaving them and he said, they, they beg with them to come and join them for dinner. And Jesus says, all right, I'll come for a bite. And so it says in verse 30, it says, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. Sounds familiar, right? And then he broke it and he hands it to them. Didn't this, didn't this just happen about a week ago? Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. Y'all see the correlation here? I think many, time we, many times we experience the same things in our lives. 
think many times we experience the same things in church. We go through the motions. We worship. We learn through teaching. But here's what I would say. I believe many times as we remember and we recognize the Lord's body and the Lord's blood, he can be revealed to us. We can get fresh new revelation that we've never gotten. In a moment, we can know him like we've never known him before. Our eyes can be open. And like I said, next week, I'm going to take it a step further. We're going to talk more about what happen, can happen in a moment as we, as we observe the Lord's body and blood. But communion, the Eucharist, this is a symbol, and it's more than a symbol. It reveals what can happen to us in a moment, that our eyes can be open to Jesus like never before. Last thing I want to mention, number three, what is my part? What is my part? What can we do differently? I think most of us here would probably say that we're followers of Jesus. And, you know, during worship, it kind of hit me as I was thinking about what is my part. You know, we were singing the bridge of the one song says, Pry my fingers from the earthly, let us love your glory. Everything is mine and you. You know, we sing that many times. I recognize, even as I was sitting there singing it, I recognize that I've always sang that to the Lord. Guys, pry my fingers from the earthly, that's not God's job. That's my job. We get distracted by so many other things in life. What I have, what I don't have. How he treated me, what was fair, what I got to do later on. All these other things that are earthly have no real bearing and impact eternally. It's our job to pry our fingers from the earthly and to love his glory. As we sing that in the future, I want you to change your mindset in it. Sing it to your flesh. I will pry my fingers from the earthly. Lord, I will love your glory. Everything is mine in you. And I think that's one of the first steps. If we pry our fingers from all these things that aren't important and we recognize what truly carries weight in this life. Some say, some say they're not worthy to take the Lord's Supper. We have sometimes in church and here on Sunday mornings, we have people that don't take it because they feel that they aren't worthy to take the Lord's Supper. I'll tell you one of the reasons why I think that is. Actually, first, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 again. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 29. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Everybody say unworthy. unworthy. This reason many of you, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. This is read over and over again in churches every Sunday when communion is taken. Don't take communion in an unworthy manner. We've all heard it. Stop and examine yourself. Have you sinned this week? You may not be worthy. Guys, it's a wrong mindset. This isn't what it's about. And I'm going to show it to you. It actually gives us this idea that we can be unworthy. As a follower of Christ, we can be unworthy by something we said or did this morning. If we base our unworthiness to take communion on our physical actions, none of us are ever worthy enough. Ever. Ever. 
Guys, we can only come to the table of the Lord and take of his body and his blood if we're invited to. And we accept that invitation and we come to the table. So Paul is the one speaking here. So what does he mean by worthy? Well, I'm going to take you to a different spot real quick where he talks about examining yourself again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says it again. He says to examine yourself. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Does this make a little more sense? Test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. What is the test? Whether Jesus is in you. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. He's saying, you're taking communion. I just hope you've passed the test. I hope that Jesus can be found in you. In um, the Passion Translation, the same scripture, it says, Now your souls will be strengthened and healed if you hold steadfast to your faith. Haven't you already experienced Jesus Christ himself living in you? If not, you're deficient. Say unworthy. I hope you understand that we cannot be devalued. As followers of Christ, if Jesus is found in us, if we have repented of our sin and made him Lord of our life, we cannot be devalued. Now, don't, some, don't anybody take me wrong. I'm not saying not to repent of your sin. You better repent of your sins. I, actually, I got a new revelation of that this morning. Some of you um, who are reading the Chronological Bible through uh, with us, uh, today's reading was out of uh, Judges. And there's a spot in there where it talks about grace and mercy. And it talks about grace, about grace is when you don't get what you do deserve. Every time we ask forgiveness, we're asking again for, I'm sorry, did I say mercy or grace? I'm mixed up now. Mercy is us not getting what we deserve. And so every time we ask forgiveness of God or anybody else, we're asking for mercy because of our failings, right? We need, it's important that we come to God and we repent and we ask forgiveness of our sin. But we are forgiven. If we think we don't have to repent, then we're simply taking advantage of grace. Okay, I'm going to get way off. Um, So the question is, do you have Jesus in you? If Jesus is in you, then you're worthy to partake of his body and his blood. If you're in the faith, you're worthy. You never could have earned your place at the table. You were invited and you accepted. Only by the body and blood of Jesus are we even worthy to come and receive of it. All that to say, we can't ever let this become routine. We must recognize the weight and the value of taking the Lord's Supper. Now, don't take it too far. It's not a worship. It doesn't save you. It's, well, it kind of is a worship. But it, it's, it doesn't save you, but it is very important that we remember the body and the blood of Jesus. I think many times we talk about it far too little. I'm going to give you a quick story I heard. This isn't true. You might have heard this before, but it's, I think it's a great example to kind of begin to conclude with. Um, Imagine that you're driving to work and you hear about on the radio about a new disease that's been discovered in another country that's spreading real quickly. And it's quickly becoming an epidemic. And over the next few weeks and months, you hear that many countries are closing their borders 
because this disease is getting out of hand and it's spreading to other countries and all this stuff. But thank goodness it's not in the U.S. And then one day, you hear that this disease has popped up in a hospital in the United States. And within a month or two, it is spread all over the place. And soon after, you find out that you've contracted a disease as well. Well, time goes on and suddenly they discover that they can make a cure, but the cure can only come through pure blood. And as far as they know, the entire world has this disease. So what do they do? Every government in the world commands that every person go to their closest medical facility and give blood so that it can be tested to see if pure blood can be found anywhere. So you go with your family, and you give blood, and you head home. And the whole world waits to hear if that pure blood, any pure blood was found so that this cure could be made. Shortly after, you get a phone call. You answer it, and somebody from the CDC, and they said, we found it. That pure blood is only found in one person, and it's your son. So, how exciting. You grab him, your family, you run to the hospital, and they begin to hook him up, and you've got to sign papers and all this stuff, and they come to you and say, wow, we need to talk to you for a minute. We didn't realize he was so young. We didn't realize he was so little. We're going to have to take all his blood. Every drop to make this cure. He's not going to survive this. Could you do it? You ask the doctors, how in the world do you expect me? And they say, I don't know. All I know is that the whole world's going to die if you don't. Man, I hope I could. So you give your son, you go in to talk to him at the last moment, and you're trying to gently break this news to him. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand Mom and Dad, why in the world could you do this to me? How could you forsake me, right? And they take his blood and he dies. But the whole world is saved. So, within a few months, the cure has been distributed all over the world. Mankind is saved. And they decide that something needs to be done. Because the whole world recognizes the price that you paid, the price that your son paid. And so they erect a monument. They decide that all over the world, once a week, they're going to have a moment of silence to celebrate his life, to celebrate his death, and to celebrate the fact that the world was saved. I can only imagine that that would go on for a while, but how long do you think it would last? How do you think you would feel when people started neglecting the moment of silence each week? I got other things to do. I got a social life. I got kids. I got a family. I'm busy. Sorry. I got a lot going on. I'll do it next week. I'll observe the moment of silence. 
How do you think you'd feel the first time somebody defaced the monument? Painted something on it? How do you think you'd feel as time went on and people a generation later are going, did he really do that? (laughs) And you're sitting there going, you wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for my son. Now, if you know that we were all affected by a disease called sin, an outcome of certain death, but a certain father gave his son, and that son willingly laid down his life so that you could live. And so when we take communion, we remember his death, burial, and resurrection. We celebrate the life that we have because of his sacrifice. Knowing that there was no other way but his sacrifice to give us life. I'm going to continue next week. My whole point in this, guys, is for you to remember the weight. To remember the value in the Lord's Supper. In remembering what it is that we're actually doing. We're going to take communion together, and I'd ask you just to kind of put your things down there together, put your things down under your seat or whatever you need to do. And I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Let me ask, firstly, if you're here and you did not get the communion elements, which I guess I didn't, if you didn't get communion elements, if you would raise your hand real quick, you should have gotten them when you came in, but if you don't have a cup with uh, bread and juice, if you would lift up your hands and let the ushers, they're coming down the aisles right now to give those to you. Anybody else doesn't have communion elements? Right up here. We're not taking it yet. I got it, thanks. Let's all bow our heads together for a moment. We're going to take communion, but the question is, are you worthy? Guys, your worthiness isn't based on what you've done or not done. Well, (laughs) kind of is, I guess. Your worthiness is based on whether you've received Jesus. My question is, can Jesus be found in you? Like I say every week, it's not about a prayer being prayed. You know right now, can Jesus be found in you? You You may have prayed a prayer when you were six. You may have gone to church every day of your life. My question is, can Jesus be found in you? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you allowed him to be your master? Do you recognize the weight of the body that was broken for you and the blood that was spilled for you? Do you recognize it? Have you accepted that Passover lamb as your sacrifice? Recognizing that you can't be good enough. It's only by his body and his blood that we're invited to the table. Yeah, it is about heaven. It is about heaven and hell. It's also about right now. It's about your life every day as you walk about on this earth. Can Jesus be found in you? Do you have that life that's talked about? He said, unless you take of my, eat of my body and drink of my blood, there is no life in you. Is Jesus in you? Every head bowed, if that's you, and you would say, you know what? I need to dedicate my life to the Lord. 
Like I say, whether you've done it before or not, if you recognize right now that your life is not surrendered to Jesus, I plead with you to get it right. Don't wait another moment. This is what makes you worthy. You can't be good enough, but thank God he is. So accept him. Surrender your life to him. It's that to you and you would say, I need to surrender right now. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Just lift up your hand. Lift up your hand and let me see. Who would say, I need to surrender? I need to get things right with the Lord this morning. Who else? I see three. Is there anybody else that would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus this morning? Awesome. There's another one. Anybody else? All right, you can put your hands down. We're going to pray a prayer together. The Bible says that if you mean it with all your heart, I'm not talking about you don't mean it with the words of your mouth. You mean it with your heart. You choose that from this day forward, you're laying down your life. You're allowing yourself to be crucified with Jesus and allowing him to live through you. You're allowing him to be your Passover lamb. And that you'll follow him all the days of your life. That you'll seek his will and not your own. If you mean it with all your heart, the Bible says you become a new creation. The old passes away and all things become new. It means that you're worthy to come to the table and to boldly take of his body and blood and thank him for who he is in your life. We're gonna pray this together. Let's all pray. Say, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We recognize that we had a disease called sin. And there was nothing we could do. There was no cure. We couldn't be good enough. There wasn't a doctor to go to. But Father, you made a way. You sent your son to lay down his life for me. He took my punishment. He took my sickness. He took my disease. He took my shame. It was a great exchange. And I thank you for it. Jesus, I call you Lord of my life. I believe that you are who you said you were that you went to the cross in my place, but you didn't stay in the grave. You rose and you sit at the right hand of the Father. You're my advocate today. Your blood cries out for me. It calls me innocent and clean, regardless of my past. And I thank you. I'm so thankful. I lay down my life for you. And I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me. Empower me to be everything you've called me to be. I thank you, Lord, that I am yours. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. Yeah.